Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And I'm Christina. And this is Anti-Wave, a podcast all about bucking the traditional Hollywood systems. And, uh, and the three of us have over 100 years of experience in the entertainment industry. Wow. So how about that? That's Although I was lot. thinking, Robert, here we are in downtown LA. I think it's possible we could pick any three people in this audience. That's probably true. And they true. might also have 100 years of film experience. We could probably throw a book and hit somebody. <laughs> a book. It's appropriate because we, we are we are at the Last Bookstore. So hey, Last Bookstore. Yeah. Give yourselves a, a round of applause. Woo! Last Bookstore. That's real applause, ladies and gentlemen. That is. So uh, we're going to be reviewing this week. What film, Ira? Uh, which one do we do? What are we doing? I love it. I love it. <laughs> leave I know, no leave trace. Leave no trace. For those of you that don't know, Ira never knows what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we've got Ira. We've got Christina. We've got me. We're going to be talking about Leave No Trace this week. And we're also going to be doing our top five what, Christina? We're doing our top five films based on books. Based on books. Appropriately for being in the bookstore. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> theme. I like that. I like the theme. Ira, how was your week, man? It was a good week. Yeah. But, you know, I want to say it's really thrilling to be here. And I, I, I didn't know. It's my first time here in the last bookstore in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. And I was thinking Ray Bradbury would be really proud right now. Yeah. Ray Bradbury is my favorite author of all time and his passion of books when I was a lot younger I heard him speak twice in local libraries and the, he loved downtown LA and libraries and I think he's smiling right now what about Charlene who wrote the slut series oh. I thought that was your favorite author well, then there's that too but oh. I don't want we have an audience here oh, Robert. Okay, my right. reputation's all at right, stake I see, I see, yeah. I see. so uh, did you see Fahrenheit 451 the Ray Bradbury movie I the taught, new one I used to teach the novel right. and I saw the original with Francois Truffaut right. who directed it and I saw the HBO movie too which which left a lot to be desired. Yeah. It was a mess. Yeah. Did you it see that, Christina? I, d- I did a long time ago. You know what my favorite Ray Bradbury book is? What's that? Dandelion Wine. Mm. Have you I've read that? I've never read it, no. It is so, it's such a wonderful book. My favorite is Something Wicked This Way Something Comes. Nice. Oh, I like that. I want to say nice. something. Ray Bradbury does not translate well to the screen. I wouldn't think so. In Ray Bradbury's, because of his style of writing, it's like, it's almost poetry yeah. with his word choice. And it's so wonderfully well written with the choice of words that to make it in from book to movie doesn't work illustrated man none of those films really worked they were better as novels than as films all right well uh, on that note let's talk about films we've seen this week Ira, what, what did you see this week? Are you saying it's time for the Week in Review? It is time for the Week in Review. Oh, I just want to oh, here it comes. Some are old, some are new. We now present the Week in Review. All right. And now, to think this is the first time the that some people have... My I, daddy, I don't think they... I think people are... They're people smiling. Are, no. I'm getting a head shaking up and down. I think that that's Someone's sympathy. smiling at me. Sympathy. It's about yeah. a thousand degrees in here. I think you're just... Uh, you're, you're providing meek entertainment. Either that or they They're feel proving. sorry for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did you see this I'm week? I'm going to go first? Yeah. Have you ever heard of a film called Clapper? The Clapper. This yes. Was, you have. Now, I was really curious about this. I never saw it, this. but I know it. It's 2017. It was at Tribeca, and um, Brenda Vaccaro had a small part in the film. Right. I was curious about it, but also Ed, Ed Helms and um, and other people, too. And it, was, it had an interesting premise, and it was a mess. But let's get to the good movies I want to mention. 1973, Teenage Tramp. I happened to watch that the other night. Teenage Tramp. Yeah, but let's Teenage let's go on from Tramp? there. Well, wait, 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 wait. Watch, you can't just no. say I watched Teenage Tramp yeah. and not. I'd rather not, not get go into any that right deeper. Now. But anyway, I love. What do you streaming. mean you don't want to go into no, that? No, let's just tell us about Teenage I'd, Tramp. I'd really I rather we have an audience here, Robert. I know yeah. that's why I'm asking. I, I an audience. I'm a little bit self-conscious because they kind of don't know how to take this. So. 
Tell us about Teenage Tramp. All I know is 1973, and I watched about 13 minutes of it, and that was enough. 13 minutes? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised you lasted more than three and a half minutes. Can, can I go on, please? Thank you. <laughs> yes, please you let can. him go on. I watched now, listen, I want to mention another movie called Diary of a Sex Addict. Oh, there. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's a lot better. It's a lot better. The audience is smiling right, and nodding right. right now. Gotcha. This, you guys, was Again, written, out of sympathy. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> this was 2001. It was written by Anthony Peck, who's Gregory's son. Roseanne Ar- Arquette was in it. And it was um, it was meant to be a psychological uh, sex. It turned out to be just kind of an exploitative. Uh, it was did you watch any films that did not have something to do with sex? No, but I wanted to mention my last one, which is a movie called Eden. Eden, you guys, was 2012. It was about human trafficking, and Eden played at South by Southwest, so it was a legitimate film. Oh, it's a instead legitimate of film. Complying, it's like so soft it's not smart. But I, I want to say that what's interesting about that film, Eden, and again, she was held captive and turned into a prostitute and all that stuff. But there's been a lot of backlash about that film because it was based on a book. And evidently, it never really happened. That organizations came out and said, not true, this didn't happen, it was just to sell her book to get it made into a movie. Isn't that interesting? And it was about the Garden of Eden? No, no, oh. no, but that was her name, Eden. I think Eden and was symbolic. Uh, yeah, it was a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It was Is a metaphor. And those, I'm guessing, yes. Those are my <laughs> four films. All right, I'll go next, because uh, I usually save me for last, and I don't want to do all that. Um, you know what? I saw two films that are worth mentioning. I saw the documentary on Netflix, Recovery Boys. Have you seen this? No. It's a new no. documentary about um, four recovering heroin addicts. Mm. And they keep kind of going in and out of relapse. And this, uh, this farm that they are doing their relapse, or their, not their relapse, but their, uh, their, what am I trying to say? The rehabilitation program is on this farm in West Virginia and them kind of reacclimating into life and really trying to get out of the town that's, mm. that's messed them up so much with their, their heroin abuse in the first place. Uh, it's, it's really, I love all of good. these. Yeah, I love any of those like, yeah. um, uh, oh, Intervention or any of the, the TV shows that really that document people's recovery. It really it gets me in my heart, man. That's the stuff that moves me. And I also saw Perfect Sense. And I've talked about it on this podcast before. Uh, this is a Ewan McGregor movie that uh, deals with kind of... Uh, producer Joey asked me if, she, if we could watch a film that, that was similar to Contagion. And I said, yeah, I got just the one. Perfect Sense. It's about the end of the world. There's a disease that hits the world. And slowly but surely, different senses start getting dropped. So it starts with... Uh, what was the t- The taste, I think? People's... Or smell. It started with their smell, and then and they couldn't smell anymore. And then, like, how does society go on when you can't smell? Next thing you know, they can't taste anymore. And then they can't, uh, then I think it was hearing, right? And then, and obviously people start losing their sight. It starts to become a problem. So this whole, uh, this whole film document, it follows the story of Hugh McGregor and this, this woman who had this love relationship fest that kind of blossoms in the middle of uh, Armageddon. That's it. It's a good movie. Hmm. Worth checking out. Is it? But is it good as Teenage Tramp? It's better than Teenage Tramp. I'm going to say. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's better than Teenage Tramp. Christina, what'd you watch this week? I can't, I watched one film, um, which unfortunately I can't talk about it because it's in my top five. Oh. oh. So you're going to talk about it later. I'm going to talk about it later, but I will say that it's a silent film. Oh. Yeah. Huh. All right. Good times. Well, with that note, should we start talking about Leave No Trace? Robert, talk us through it. All right. Leave No Trace, if anyone hasn't seen it, is a, uh, a film based on My Abandonment, a book that we thought was pretty fitting for the last bookstore. It centers around a teenage girl and her dad who live out in the wilderness in Oregon, 
and kind of living off the land. Is that survivalists. right? Survivalists. Thank you. Uh, some would say homeless. Other would say survivalists. Hmm. Uh, he suffers from PTSD and he uh, kind of wants nothing to do with society. And it's all about their relationship as she starts to kind of blossom into womanhood and wants to kind of fit back into society. And he does not. Is that a fair representation? Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think? What were your thoughts? Christine, I'll start with you. What did you think? I I honestly thought this was a near perfect film. Near perfect film. I really did. It was, it was, I thought the performances were amazing. I thought the directing was excellent. I thought the story was compelling. It was really understated. I mean, um, you know me, I have a weakness for anything that comes out of can. So, I mean, this premiered at the director's fortnight and I just thought, I mean, Deborah Granick, she's a director who's done a lot of great work in the past. Um, and I thought that this was uh, the performances she got from Ben Foster and um, Thomas and uh, Mackenzie were just amazing. It's I really interesting. Thought it was great. You know, as the credits were rolling by, one of the things that I noticed was that not only is, was it directed by a woman, it was edited by a woman, it was produced pri- primarily by women. It was uh, I mean, all of the major roles within the the film were primarily women. Yeah. Uh, so this this truly was kind of a a woman's film, and then the executive producers rolled up, and it was all males. But uh, but I noticed that it was mainly women who had their hands on the film. I I read that this was it, she originates especially with her producing and writing partner a lot of their own projects, but this is something that was actually handed to them. They were oh, really? approached and they said, "Hey, would you like to adapt this?" Yeah. And they read it and really responded to the material, and it really is in their wheelhouse of the kind of stuff that they do. Ira, what did you think? I want to preface it by saying I like the film a lot. In previous podcasts, we've used the word breathing, that the movie breathes, it takes its time. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I think I'm the only one, I'll probably be the only one out to say this, I liked it, beautiful cinematography, incredible acting with those two leads. I do think, already Christina's... I just know, when when you start like that, you're like, but I didn't like it. No, I did (laughs) like it. I liked it very much, but I do feel there were moments where it was meandering. I did, oh. and I'm getting this look. I knew from he was bo- going to feel There were moments so? yeah. where, yeah. It, and I know I'm, I'm going to be the odd man out here, excuse me, the odd person out, right? But I think that parts were just meandering, that there were sequences like the bunny rabbits that weren't crucial. Now, we've often talked about movies that breathe and it textures and it takes its time, and I get that. Look how much I love the movie The Writer. The Writer is the, the movie writer I was going to bring yeah. up. It was wonderful, and I like the fact it took its time and it was breathing. I did feel, and again, I like this movie very, very much, but I did feel there were moments for me of some meandering can you appreciate that christina i you know it i i didn't feel like it meandered no i i really didn't i thought that um i thought that it was all very ch- it was very charged like i understand what you're saying about the bunny rabbits but it was really about her finding a place in this community of these people who show the bunny rabbits right so it did it was very it was very it was an important scene because that was one of the things that you know she had just connected with that with that guy who was about her age and he'd invited her to do this thing with the bunny rabbits and she got to do it with him and she was really part of a community for the first time right and that's the moment that her dad's like we gotta go we also got that feeling too when she did go to the church and the dancers were there and so on so there was another scene that had the same purpose that showed that she was indeed bonding with a community but I think that in the in the church scene, she was she was curious about what they were doing, but she had, didn't bond the way she did with the boy. I mean, I think it was sort of incremental. It was, pro- it was, it was building. It was building up. Yeah. Right, you know what right. I mean? She was reaching out in these different ways, but then it was the bunny rabbit, you know, uh, showing the 4-H club or whatever that really showed us how here was some place that she really connected with. Like she really loved animals, and she really could see herself doing that. 
So but in the okay, so for anyone who hasn't seen the film, there's a great scene where you know the the girl starts to become uh, part of the community by going to this church, and she watches a bunch of octogenarians who are doing their flag club, right? Am they I, are dancing and singing. Yeah, in in celebration. But they're they're, of the they're doing the flags, right? Yeah, there's some so purple like a, flags. It's like they they couldn't let high school band camp go. And they just carried that with them all the way. They're expressing themselves, Robert. I, I, I'm not. I'm not criticizing. But there was a little bit of laughter coming from the theater when yeah. we saw it. Yeah. Was that, did that happen in your? A theater? little bit. Of yeah. Stifled. They yeah. stifled. They knew they weren't supposed you to know, laugh. I t- there I, was some snickering. I turned to Joey and I said, "This is probably the most real thing I've ever seen in a film ever." It was. It was definitely. It had the way it was shot too. It was a bit absurdist. It was like they sort of stepped back a little bit and let us watch a whole part of that. But it was so real. It was very. That's real. exactly. I mean, I. I've been to church. You producer Joey and I go to church, and and uh, there are are there flag performances? Yeah, there are really. You've that, seen this before? It's may not maybe not flags, but it's that same kind of dancing. Wow! And, and like people that you wouldn't expect to have that kind of skill or show mm. off that kind of skill, mm. they're there to do it. And I was like, man, this is so awesome. That's great. I want to say that I and again, here's where I like the pacing of the movie a lot. Like in the first 15 minutes, I and I was so curious, like. Who are these people and why are they there? And it took its time. Yeah. And I like that breathing. I didn't know what was, I didn't know that it was um, post traumatic stress disorder. I didn't know that until it unfolded a little bit. But at the very beginning, I was fascinated. I was mesmerizing, mesmerized. It took its time. But again, I just feel overall that the movie could have used 11 minutes of editing. I can appreciate what you're saying. I, I liked it. And, you know, I've been accused on this podcast of, of not being patient with films, and you actually came to my defense and said, "Oh no, I'm I'm not that." Way. I think it was a guest that just that kind of that didn't know I my taste. I think you're I think you're patient. Yeah, I think except I am. except for 2001: Space Odyssey. Except for I Love Dogs. I, the two <laughs> films that I'm like, I think those things should have been edited down. I Love Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And name another movie that I've said that. That's about. it. No, you're right. Harold usually Harold you argue on the other side. Harold yeah, and Million. Okay, three. You know what? That's three. three films. Christine, I'm really glad you're here. This is so great that you're nailing him. No, that I have a bird three. for you and a bird for you. Uh, <laughs> but those are the only three movies. They are all the yeah, others. You're no, very and patient. You're, you're you love inc- texturing and, pa- and movies that breathe yeah. and documentaries. Again, you love the documentaries, and a lot of those have a lot of um, breathing time. And I, but I, well, here I'm. Like, I'm going to come to your defense. I feel like this film needed those those times of the bunny rabbits. It's about people living in the woods. It's texture. It's a different pace. And I think that the world that they build, I mean, the the way that they show their world in the woods, especially yeah. in the first couple of scenes, when they show how they're, you know, they're practicing so they won't be discovered. They're, you know, where they have, she's like, I want to use, I'm hungry. I want to use the, prop, you know, the yeah. propane. Like, all the way that they sort of, they gather the mushrooms, the whole thing. It was so real and layered and I felt agree. like, you know, yeah, okay, I'm going to get my propane tank. My I never, mushrooms, I never doubted any of the performances. No, I never doubted any of amazing. the motivations. And one of the things I want to point out is that if you haven't seen this film, it's a really interesting uh, study of a film that does not have an antagonist. So it, everyone that behaved in this film behaved rationally, and they did what they thought was the best thing in that scenario. I think it's the dad. It's really he's the well, it's a, it's he's a man a, versus it's an, self. It's a, right? it's a man versus self. But, he is his own antagonist. But I don't think it's um, they weren't unreasonable about about their about why they did what they did so often in movies we see characters who act and behave in ways like no one would actually do that and everyone here had a real reason to do what they what they did absolutely and there there are a lot of moments that like really stuck with me like when you know when she that when her father says okay we have to leave this place you know they've gotten set up they basically have gotten um 
they've gotten seen in the woods and basically swept up into the sort of the homeless system. Yeah. So they've been taken out and basically now they've been found a house and they've been sort of set up in this house and his and the father's been given a job and you know and when the father can't take it anymore because he just he's just his his P, PTSD is just too bad and he's so it's, I mean, it's a great film in terms of dealing with veteran issues. Um, yeah. And when he's like, we have to move on, she, he's like, don't take anything you don't need. And she looks at those two plastic horses, which you see were like the two, only two toys she's literally ever had. And she's like, he's like, these are not our things. And you can see her leaving them behind and how hard it is for her to leave like just these two possessions yeah. that she's temporarily it's accumulated. It was, it was really wonderful. What I will say is that the problem that I have with the film is... I know where the film is going from the very beginning. From the moment when she sees this necklace uh, on, the, on the path and she wants the necklace and she says, Dad, can I have it? And we know from that moment on, this whole film is going to be about her, her arc. Yeah, we it's know she's got to yeah. go back into society and he can't. And, yeah. That, yeah. and so I know where the film is going to end up. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm unsatisfied with that. I mean, I, when I watch an action film, I know where it's going to end up. The bad guy's going to get caught. The good guys are going to solve the case or whatever. And I think this is the same kind of scenario, but I, I did know what was going to happen, and that was a problem that I had with, the, with this film in particular. You mm -hmm. said it was a near-perfect film. To me, I like films that leave me guessing the entire time. I don't know where it's going, or it takes a huge left turn, and I don't feel like this film did that. It was, it was uh, I, I'm going to say expected, but I don't feel like that's the best way because that almost sounds demeaning, and I don't mean it demeaning. It was just kind of... Uh, it was what we, what you thought you were going to get. You saw the narrative arc. I mean, I guess for me, I was so caught up in the moment, I wasn't right. thinking ahead. Yeah. I want to ask a question. In the first third of the film, where we see it's the social services, pr protective, protective services, and um, what were they, the, the dog that was able to smell the scent and go after them and um, and make sure that that kid should be in school. Yeah. Does that go on universally all over? A few blocks from where we are, we have Skid Row. Are there kids? We do. There, we are there kids there? Are there kids there who should be in school and they're not? Instead, they're in Skid Row. And if so, do authorities like social services go after them to make sure that they are indeed in school? Does it really work that way? I'm sure it does to some extent. I, I don't wonder. know. I'm not a I social wonder. services representative, but yeah, I think to a, I, I think if you see a, a kid out on the street. I think they would definitely call some social services in to work with that kid and figure out where should this child be? What kind of school? And that's exactly what they portrayed in the film, which is let's take a test. Let's determine how much education you've already received. What grade should you be in? All of that. Yeah. It, it, it made me wonder. And, you know, I don't, I haven't, I started the novel, but I haven't, I'm not even, you know, I'm just a few chapters in. Um, it made me wonder how long they'd been living, you know, basically in the woods. Yeah. Because it's something the film doesn't touch on. So I wondered if, like her whole life since she was a baby were they living there with her mother and with the mother and the dad together or were they housed at one point and then things just got too bad after the mom died and then he's like we're moving to the woods so that was one thing that the film didn't explore which i was really curious about but i like that i mean there's, there's no, a, i like that mystery about yeah, i liked it too yeah, yeah I, we didn't need the the backstory laid out in front of us you and i've talked I, about I this like, so much yes, in films yeah. yes that all the backstory and the flashbacks and everything don't else. need it you don't, don't need, need it, it. yes don't and, I'm, need it. and i'm so yeah. glad that they i mean they use the helicopter sounds like at the beginning to show the father waking up and yeah. feeling like having the bad dream but they don't like they don't give us a flashback they don't talk about they don't have an explicit discussion about how he's haunted by the war you know they really touched on it so many different ways and like when he's injured later in the film um, the guy, the army guy who helps him out, 
with his injury basically is like, yeah. I mean, he you can tell he's seen it before. He's, he's treated it before. Right, right. He's experienced it himself. Well, That's why he has the dog. One of the things that I love about the film is it doesn't portray PTSD in an unrealistic fashion so much that we see in other other movies where it might be he would wake up in the middle of the night and hold a knife to his daughter's throat. And <laughs> right, it's, right. Those it's a little, it's so over melodramatic the top. Now, scenes. That, that might actually happen. I don't, I don't have PTSD, so who am I to say that that's unrealistic? I mean, I'm sure it does happen, but at least it, this is a way that we haven't seen it portrayed. It, seemed, it felt more realistic. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It wasn't that melodramatic. Also, if this movie were made in 1973, I'm convinced there would have been flashback yes. shots oh, with sepia tone, yes. a little bit of a brown tinge, and we would see him as a soldier in combat. Uh-huh. Right. They would and have the, done that if it was made in And the movie would have been about two, two and a half hours, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You talk about pacing. <laughs> talk about <Yeah>. meandering. <laughs> you, you got lucky that it's made in today's day and age. And I think the cinematography was beautiful in oh, this yeah. film. Uh, yeah. The shots were, were gorgeous. They did a really nice job. Now, we've talked about the movie uh, Frey on this podcast, that. which is an independent, um, very anti-wave film about a another soldier with PTSD in the Oregon area kind of oh, living very similar oh, themes. Oh, that's really interesting. And we had the director on the podcast to talk to us about Frey. And I think it's it's almost hard to get a bad shot up there. I think if you go up to Oregon and you just set up in the woods, man, you're going to get something beautiful. Go up there. Anybody with an Instamatic camera, it'll be a gorgeous photograph. Yeah, man. Right? <laughs> you don't even need film. You don't even need film. Just go up there. <laughs> you don't even need a camera. It, it also was a really interesting view of the U.S. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you really, it really emphasized the parklands. And, you know, we have so many films that are set in cities and urban areas or, you know, and you don't get to see, like, you don't get to see nature in terms of the parklands and that's so much of you know sort of the u.s's um geography it's it's just rare that you see a film shot like that in that environment there was one concept and as you're talking about it kind of reminds me people that live so such isolated lives and when they do reintegrate back into society sometimes they have questions about what's going on and the rest of us so quickly judge them you know they may these are we're talking about people that may not even know who is president or may not even have a concept of uh, September 11th happening. And they'll come back and, and have discussions with people and not understand. I, don't, I mean, remember there was a character that I think they said had been in the woods for, like, did she say like 30 years or something yeah. like that? Yeah, the one, the one where they leave food for him at the end. Right, and yeah. there, was, there was a character that had been kind of tucked away in the wilderness for roughly 30 years. And right. he would have no clue about some of the modern day, uh, kind of like Ira. Oh, well, no. just teasing, just teasing. No, I mean, but in all fairness, <laughs> in all fairness, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is they were living in the woods, but they weren't cut off from civilization because right. they go into town. They well, go they to veterans. They right. weren't. No, they weren't. but I mean, I was interesting because when I first read about what the film was about and when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, they're living in their woods, in the woods. There's no connection with other people or right. society. But you see them taking, walking across the bridge, taking the tram into Portland, going to the Veterans Administration, you know. And and it's so it, it they were like, they were connected to it. They were aware of it, but they weren't part of it. It was very interesting. Yeah, very I just have to lock in all the acting, but especially the two leads. With Ben uh, Ben Foster has done a lot, and he the yeah, people are saying this face. is it. Yeah. he finally hit it. And with um, the daughter was played by uh, Thomasine McKenzie. She was the daughter Tom, and people are saying that this is her breakout role because the the director who we should mention, also helped with Jennifer Lawrence in an earlier film and helped her to be an established star. And people are saying that might be the case also with with Miss McKenzie. 
Yeah, Thomason. real, real life for talent. You know, I also want to point out the the boy who belonged to the 4-H club who had yep. the rabbits. He was a very handsome boy, extremely handsome. What are you saying, Robert? It's exactly what I looked like in high school with the long hair, super skinny. It's, Did he? Yeah. Really? Like, like to a T. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It, if I showed you pictures, you'd be like, oh, shit, that's exactly that's what, what I look like. That's what you look like? Yes. Oh. Well, oh I have to go back mirror. and watch that's that movie. That's unexpected. Yeah. And did you also, uh, were you in the 4-H club with not, rabbits? No, no. No? No. All right. I mean, I, I, did, I did pet a few pussies during high school, but... Whoa, uh, but Robert. Robert. What? Well, there were cats. I like cats. Well, I want to say Dale Dickey, who played the part of Dale the Blonde. That's exactly what I looked like when I was, oh, yeah? in, when I was in high school. <laughs> no. I don't know. No. 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 This, this podcast Maybe is taking a, a great left turn. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about our money shots. What do you think about the film? What's, what's the shot that stands out to you, Ira? Okay. When you think about this film five years from now, yes. what will be the shot that stands I out in your to, mind? I have to, obviously, and again, I know I've said this probably too many times, money shots often don't have to be, but they're often near the end. That hug at the end was really special, mm. and it worked. Yeah, it and I was feeling that hug. It, we knew it was coming. In fact, it was set up in the previous scene where they were packing, they were packing, and she said something to the effect of, "I don't suffer from what you suffer." She was sh- starting her to to show her independence, who she was. Yes, who she was. And then in the following scene with a hug at the end, it was really, really powerful. There was also a split second scene when he was helping cut down those trees, those Christmas trees, and we heard the helicopters overhead right. that were helping. And we had a quick shot of him, and he buried his head. In, with his hands blocking out the noise, obviously it reminded him of combat. So that split second affected me, and especially the hug at the end. Those are my two money shots. I think my money shot would be when she finds that necklace. That's going to stand out in my mind because it was such a great um, portrayal of both characters. She asks, you know, can I have this when we come back? And he says, all right, that seems fair. So it's, he's, he's not unreasonable. I I'm, I'm always, always kind of grow tired of fathers, well, these, these fathers child movies where the dad is completely unreasonable and he is reasonable he's listening to her and he's uh he's a great dad yeah he's he's a a great dad except for the whole problem where he can't stay in society right but he that's a problem with himself right and he realizes affecting her right absolutely and and endangering the child and getting on the train and and trying to just living off the they land almost, in that way. And they almost freeze to death. Right. right. I mean, that's really where, you know, when he can't stay in the house and he takes her and then she almost, they almost die. So clearly his problems are becoming her problems, but yes. he's listening to her. He's not. Aside from almost killing discounting her. Discounting her. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from, from almost killing her. Aside from but almost killing his child, he's actually a great father. I, the small shot of her trying to hide that necklace by rubbing it in the dirt uh, right yes, before she yes. walks off. That's I think that will stay with me forever. Yep. I think that's a really great moment in this film. All right, Christina, what about you? What's the shot that you'll remember? Um, there were there were a lot, but I think um, one of the ones that was most uh, outstanding to me is when she's... Two, two shots relating to when he goes to get supplies mm-hmm. and she's left alone in the cabin. Mm-hmm. And um, when she lights all those candles to try to show her father where the cabin is... And then when she finds him hurt by the stream, that is like such a terrifying moment for her. And it's like her worst nightmare. I mean, basically they're their whole world to each other. And then to find him injured and possibly dead, that was very, 
And also, I think the way his body is integrated into the stream and you yeah. almost don't notice it. Yes. It was so much about it. I don't know. Visually, it just seems so much about what the movie was about in terms of them trying to blend into the woods. And right. you know, there are all those scenes of them hiding. But this was a way where it was like, this is not the good kind of blending in. Sure. This is the other. This is the risk of living like this. Yes. I love how she lit those candles yeah, and beautiful. put them along the railing outside outside really the beautiful. cabin. Uh, how anti is this film? Let's put this on the anti scale. So is this an anti-wave film? Is it not an anti-wave film? Yes, so it's an anti-wave film. For our film. audience members that are listening, the anti-wave is how, how much does this film buck the usual Hollywood trends. Christina, I have a feeling you're going to rank this pretty high. Yeah, I think it's like an eight for me. An eight? Yeah, I, I, I really do think so. I mean, I think the themes, the pacing, um, the subject matter, uh, I think the directing style, it was a solid anti-wave film for me. I, I feel like I would give it a little bit lower. I would say maybe like a seven. I can see I, a seven too. I, I think there are some definite anti-touches here. It does buck the Hollywood system, but it still it kind of embraces a few of the uh, a few of the approaches, almost like a three-act structure in that I, regard. I'm, I'm giving it an extra point for the uh, for the the so having so many women on the crew. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then Ira, what about you? Yeah, and obviously, what the storyline was about and so on, it did have an anti-wave film feel, um, but it was there was no real antagonist. Uh, the protagonist had that kind of structure, yeah. except for the antagonist within. And and I'm giving it. As an anti-wave movie, I'm giving it a, a 7.7. 7.7, 7. wow. 7.7, yeah. that's yeah. pretty high, Ira. Yeah. Okay, 7.3. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. You just talked him down. <laughs> well, you know. All right. Well, hey, uh, let's move on to Dead Corner, shall we? The Dead Corner. Ira, who died this hey, week? you know what? Gotta tell you, unfortunately, we must. The following people, they turned to dust. All right, who died? I, I hope our audience liked my, my ditty. I don't think they did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christina's husband. <laughs> we lost the following people in the industry in the last seven days. Now, I do want to mention, he's not directly associated with film. However, we lost Stephen Ditko, 90 years old, American comic book writer and artist who drew who drew, who drew um, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and so on. He died at the age of 90. We also lost Derek O'Connor, 77-year-old Irish actor in Lethal Weapon 2, and he was in Brazil, and so on. I want to mention a Dutch cinematographer. Name is Robbie Muller, and he worked very closely with Wim Wenders and did Paris, oh, Texas. Yeah. They, yeah, uh, as you all famous. know, very often director and cinematographer tend to work together on different projects. They view things a similar way. And he did a lot of Wim Wenders movies. I also want to mention, in addition to working with Wim, he uh, shot uh, To Live and Die in L.A., uh, Friedkin's movie, which had that hazy yellow tinted cinematography. Right. So he died. Also, one more, The Dead Corner Spotlight. A, a director of a documentary, Claude Lonsman, 92-year-old French documentary uh, filmmaker Shoah, which was the French documentary about the Holocaust. And it got a lot of plays, nine hours long. Are you and, plugging this because you're Jewish? Um, yeah, that's the only reason. I, have I a, support I you, Ira. Yeah, right. yeah, thank you. So, oh, I'm not against it. I'm just Yes, asking. you are. Yes, you are. You're happy I'm against it. You're happy it happened. I'm happy. You're happy it yes, happened. That's yeah. it. I'm happy, happy the Holocaust yeah. happened. Yeah, that's of course. It. So he made. He directed <laughs> that movie, which was shown on PBS over four nights in 1987. He is our dead corner spotlight. Those are the four people who passed away this week. All right. Well done, Ira. All right, we're going to play a quick game. Ah, this week, I think we're going to play Real or Unreal. Is that right, Producer Joey? Yeah, she's got some, some movies she's going to bring up for us. So uh, for those of you that are in the audience, you can we're going to ask you as well. So Producer Joey has selected some films, and these are either going to be real films or fake films, and our job is to figure out 
What are they? Are they real or unreal? All right, so... Producer Joe, you want to hand that over to me? I'll go ahead. Or do you want to read them, Christina? Uh, you can, you can, I can hand it to you. Oh, all right. Let's do it. All right. You've got the loud voice. Okay, so the first film is titled On My Own. A young girl runs away to the woods to escape her overbearing family and encounters a troop of thieves who welcome her into their lifestyle. On My Own. Okay. You can sense the theme here because this is very similar to uh, Leave No Trace. What do you think, Ira? Do you think yeah, this is real or unreal? On my own. Hmm. On my own. You know, I'm going to take a stab here and say it's real. It's real? Yeah. All right. Yep, yep, yep. Christina, what about you? What do you I, think? I'm going to go just for the sake of troublemaking. I'm yep. going to go unreal. I'm going to go. You're going to go unreal? I think I'm going to go unreal as well. What do you guys think? Real or unreal? Unreal? Real? No, she says no. What do you think? Unreal? Unreal. I think most of us are going unreal. It is unreal. Wow. Nice job. Ira, you suck. No. Oh, that's not true. You just blow. All right. (laughs) This next one, Last Cannibal World. I'm sorry. I'm being kind of mean to you. You know Eh, what else is new? Next one is Last Cannibal World. An oil prospector escapes from capture by a primitive cannibal tribe in the Philippine rainforest and heads out to locate his missing companion and their plane to return home. Okay. Last cannibal world. This is so complicated, it has to be real. Mm, That's a good call. I feel like this has got to be real as well. What do you think, Ira? Yeah. Real? I'm not sure if producer Joey wrote that. This sounds like it's real. All three of us are going to say real. What about our audience? What do you guys think? Real or unreal? Real? They're confused. Real? I think they're with us. All right, we're going we're gonna to go real on this. It is real. Yeah. Real. Woo. Yeah. Two out of two. Yeah. Oh, I don't suck. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> All right. And the next one is survival family. A worldwide electrical out- outage occurs. Everything that requires electricity comes to a stop. Tokyo is nearly ruined. A father decides to escape with his family. Survival family. Wow. Terrible title. Yeah. So I'm going real. Yeah, that feels real. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering the blackouts in Los Angeles this yeah, week, this is, right? I just, yeah. Terrible okay. title. Ira, were you so at you're both saying real. Is I that think, correct? Yeah, we're going to. All right. I'll be the odd one out. Are you going to be again. the odd one out? Unreal. All right. Anybody in the audience have any opinions? Come on. Go with me. Real. They go real. Can I change Unreal? My- All right. She says unreal. Can I change my. No. <laughs> no, you're locked in. All right. Producer Joy, what was it? It was real. real. Yeah. I suck. Oh, oh no, Ira. This is just an off week for you. Uh, you'll get back in there next week. You're good. Yeah. You're good at this game. Hey, producer Joey, thanks a lot. That was fun. A little real or unreal this week. All right, so our last thing that we want to do this week is we want to talk about our top five. And our top five this week is what, Ira? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. All right, and our top five oh, is okay. what this week? Our top five movies... Based on books. All right. Based on books. Uh, who wants to start us off? Christina, you want to kick it off? What's sure. Your, what's your number five okay. based on book movie? Okay. I had to... Um, so I mentioned the silent film. So I was uh, thinking about, like, what's one of the earliest adaptations? Like, what's a super old adaptation? So I went and I um, looked around. There is a Melies adaptation of Cinderella from 1899. Wow. 1899. And I don't know if anybody's seen Melies films, but it's, um, he's, he, basically the story is, is that he was just, you know, it's the cinema, the cinema camera has just been invented. Right. So it's literally a couple years afterwards, you know, so like this maybe. this is a short film then. It's a short film. Right. Yes. 
Um, and so basically, he his film jams when he's f- filming the street, and a woman turns into like a bus because when he goes home to view the film, there's an edit, and he and that's the basis for all his trick films. So he does all these transformation films. You may have seen yeah. uh, Voyage to the Moon. So he does all these. Well, he was a magician. He's a magician. Right. So he, all his films, people turn into different things. So Cinderella, of course, lots of transformations. So right. the film kicks off. It's five minutes. It goes right to the heart of things. The stepsisters are leaving. Cinderella is crying. Boom! The fairy godmother appears, turns some mice into people, a pumpkin into a coach. They're out of there. They go to the ball. And the best part is when it turns midnight, a clock, the fairy godmother appears at the ball. A clock appears and Melies himself jumps out of the clock like an imp and chases her basically out of the room. And then she goes home and she's crying because she wanted to stay at the ball. And all of a sudden the clock reappears and other imps and creatures jump out. And the clock, it like gets all surreal and like amazing. And I really loved it. And this is five minutes? It's five minutes. Way too long. Uh, It's five minutes of wonder. I think it meandered. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was was super cool. And it was Cinderella? That was the name? Cinderella. All right. Can you find that on YouTube? It's It's on YouTube. Wow. Yeah, it's Library of Congress Public. Is that the same director who did that famous shot of the rocket? The moon. Ship yeah. going the moon. to the moon's yeah. eye. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good job, Ira. Thank you. I love you, man. <laughs> I don't suck. You don't suck. Well, I did. We were playing the game. <laughs> What's your number five this week? My number five. Now, I want to back up. Five favorite movies based on books. There's a whole slew of so many movies are based on books. Oh, so we're so going to have a lot of overlapping this week, No, right? I don't think I, we will. I don't think it's so. Still, I don't think we will. But I really embrace the word Favorite. favorite. Me too. Favorite. Me and too, that Ira. Made quite a difference because there are a lot of classics that I can rattle off as my scoops, and I will. But as far as favorite, my number five is The Time Machine, 1960, H.G. Wells, based on his, his novel, yeah. directed by uh, George Powell, the first Time Machine, not yeah, the crappy yeah. one. And I love that film, and yes, I read the book, and uh, that's my fifth favorite movie based on a book. Nice. I. Um, I tried to do something similar. It sounds like, did you, did, for the movies that are on your list, did you try to limit yourself to books that you had read? Books I had read. And loved. Well, I only picked ones well, that I loved. Well, now you're... Wow. See, that was me. That was me. That, I'm yeah, not okay. saying everybody right. else would do but that. Did you, you read all the books, I read right? all the books, okay. and they, I had to love the book and love the adaptation. That's where I went. Well, see, what I did is I said, all right, what is the best book that has been turned into a film? Like, what, who, what did the best job taking a book and turning it into a film so that's what i i kind of okay. i went with not good. that the book was bad or good but just hey who did the best job taking a book and turning it into a film and my number five is a, a movie that we've talked about a couple times on this podcast solo 120 days of sodom which is based on the, oh, the, the 1975 <laughs> film all right i'm checking out oh. <laughs> i think we have definitely talked about this book enough on the podcast oh have we I, I 120 feel- days of sodom Personally, yes. <laughs> Personally, yes. If anyone hasn't seen it, it is, uh, it's regarded Graphic. as it's one of the most disturbing films of all time. <sighs> There's a Criterion collection. It can't be that bad. Or can it? I don't know. But go check it out. Solo, 120 Days of Sodom. Uh, that's, it's, that's quite a, quite a movie. It is quite a movie. It is. Yeah. Robert, as we all know, he loaned it to me a few months ago. Yeah. And I was fascinated, mesmerized. And disgusted. Dis- disgusted. Yeah. True. Yeah. All yeah. the above. All, all the, the above. above. All right, Christina, what's your number four? Number four, um, uh, The Remains of the Day, ah. uh, the Katsue Shiguru novel, which is amazing. I love him as a writer, and I really thought that the film was beautiful also. Uh, James Ivory directed it. All right. Ira, what's your number four? My number four uh, favorite, and I, I did teach the novel 
when I was teaching high school English of Romeo and Juliet, the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet, the Zeffirelli one, which was beautiful. It was beautiful shot. I, when I walked out of the theater, I made the statement that every frame in that film could have been um, a, a picture, painting. A painting, a painting yeah. truly. And it did win the Oscar for, for cinematography. Uh, a lovely film. And that's my fourth favorite, Romeo and Juliet. All right, my number four is a movie from 2000 based on a very, very psychotic book, American Psycho. Mm. Uh, man, that book is graphic. Talk about graphic books. That's mm. a messed up book. And a, the, the movie is tame by comparison. And that movie is not tame. So, yeah, my number four is American Psycho. All right, what do you got, Christina? What's your number three? Number three, it's a film based on a play based on a book. Film based on a play based on a book. Dangerous Liaisons from 1988, oh. based on the uh, Hamptons 1985 play, and which is based on the uh, sort of epistolary novel from 1782. So I, I'm sure you guys remember Dangerous based on Liaisons. Something. It's based on something. But you guys remember Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Great film, amazing performances. Cool film. Yeah. All right. Ira, what's your number three? For my three? number three, I've mentioned this other times in previous podcasts, but uh, the film To Kill a Mockingbird, based on, of course, the novel by Harper Lee. And I think it was one of the who's most. That? Uh, Harper, Who, who's that? Who's Harper Lee? Harper Lee. She wrote the novel. To oh, it's Kill a girl? What? Harp. Now oh. the audience is loud. They're encouraging you. Oh. They're encouraging you. <laughs> Let me go on, please. <laughs> Did you know that's the only book she wrote? Yeah, well, she did write a se- No, you're wrong. I was just fucking the, with you. I just fucking, like fucking Yeah, she did write the sequel to it, and it had a different tone, and it upset a lot. You know all that. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to say that it was one of the most successful novels to film, and it was, it was faithful, yeah. except the movie did not include the fire sequence, which was in the novel. There were differences, but it was really a successful adaptation. And beautifully adaptation. shot as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, great music. Do you yeah. want me to hum the theme nope, song? No, I don't. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Elmer Bernstein. My number da, three. Da, 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 da. <laughs> My number three is, uh, I'm, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying this, because we're like in the cathedral to books right now. Um, oh, dear. My number three is Lord of the Flies, and it is the 1990 version. Oh. Yeah. That's right. I liked it. I know you did. We just, yeah. I liked it, man. It, it, it did a really good job of updating the story into a modern, uh, they, were talking, they were sitting on the, on the seaside talking about Alf. You know, and they're, that famously was like, what the fuck are they doing? They're not supposed to be... They never had that discussion in the book, obviously, because Alf wasn't around. But that made it more real. It made it more contemporary. I liked it. It was certainly pop culture oriented. It even had the swords from Star Wars. Right. They referenced a lot in the remake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the first one more, the first film. I'm but, sure you did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you like the remake. Yeah. <laughs> so there. So just deal with it. Yeah. All right. Christina, what is your number two? I, I had to put a Jane Austen on here. Um, my favorite is um, the Angley directed Sense and Sensibility. Nah, uh, that's a good one. Lovely book. Lovely film. You know, as a, you know, when I was in film school, very into the film of school movies, and I remember seeing Sense and Sensibility and kind of being like, I'm, I'm far too pretentious for this, mm-hmm. and watched it and went, this is a pretty good movie. It is pretty good. Uh, and then, and then I got really, it. It's really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a book is really well set up and they've really adapted it. And I think Ang Lee is obviously just right. deeply talented. Ira, what's your number two? My number two, The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Yes. I, nice I thought that Ira was going to yeah. put that on there. Really? Yeah, yeah I kind of saw that coming. Frank L. Baum, what a, breathing such life into that story by, yeah. by Frank Elbaum. It was a Judy Garland movie, and it was just an incredible film, incredible film and a very successful, obviously, the, the adaptation, the trans- transition from book to film was just glorious. Yeah. Glorious. Yep. Yeah. All right, my number two, 
again, I think I'm going to get in a little bit more trouble here. From 2004, Passion of the Christ. Ah. Hmm. It's based on the Bible. Did you know that, Ira? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, I love you, man. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I, I thought, you, you haven't seen it, Producer Joey, have you? You, you haven't seen the movie? Have you seen it, Christina? I have. It's, I mean, it's a good film. Yeah, I think it, it holds up pretty well. Yeah. Very violent. Very violent. All right. Christina, what's your number one? Um, I just went for my favorite film uh, adaptation, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I really loved, loved, loved Room with a View. Second James Ivory mm, film yeah. on the list. Um, but Room with a View, 1985, loved it. Great film. All right. Room with a View. Ira? For my number one, I was toying with including the, word, the, the, the uh, novel Enemy, which was a hell of a movie. Right, Christina? <laughs> I've heard so much about it, yeah. Ira. <laughs> All right, I'm just messing with you. My number one, now I'm really proud of this. Let's see if you, it's a children's book. A children's, a children's book. children's book, you guys. Try to guess. Where the Sh- wild things are. No, no, oh. no. Charlotte's Web. No, Ooh, no, no, no. It was made into a film, a 1964 movie. No, we're not getting it yet. A children's book Chitty, by... Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Well, you're close. Oh, yeah, you're I thought close. about that, too. Written by P.L. Travers, and we're talking about Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Mary Poppins was such a great, great movie film. with it was a wonderful movie with what they did back then with the animation it was perfect with Judy Garland and, and Dick Van Dyke and that's my number one that is my number what, not, producer not, Joey not, not Judy Garland what did I say Judy Garland yeah. oh Julie Andrews yeah that one thank you that's why producer Joey was shaking your head <laughs> saying no I got the wrong I got my Judy's confused you but, do that yeah but th- I knew that all along I was just messing with you that's my number one choice Mary Poppins my great number choice. my number one is from you. 2007 Zodiac. Ira, do you remember oh. Zodiac? There's even a cameo of the book in the movie. Yeah. They do a little, oh, yeah, there's the book nice. that this movie's based on. Have you seen Zodiac? I have. Uh, that's before, when I could watch more violent things. Uh. So what does it say about me that all my movies are super violent? They I are. think, I think we know what it yeah. means. Yeah. How dare you? I'm going to flip this table. All right. Uh, yeah, that's our top five. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Can I, can I just say I really wanted to include Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, you have some extras you want to include? Yeah, I just have to shout out to Devil Wears Prada, which I enjoyed the book yeah. and the film. Uh, I have a few that I would want to include. The box uh, that was based on a short story called Button Button. It's all about a... Have I, you seen the yes. box? And where they, yes. And they get the box? Yes. Yeah. Wait, if you push that button, then somebody's going to die who you don't know. In the but then you get all this money. Yeah. Yeah. What a premise. What a movie. It's based on a short story. That's correct. And then uh, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Shop Girl is an amazing book and a great movie. Uh, also, I, I almost put down here the three movies, Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me, and At Pupil, as one entry because they were all from different seasons, the Stephen King novellas. So if you haven't read that, that's a really great uh, 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 collection of novellas I, yeah i almost included parasopolis from 2007 because oh, yeah. i love parasopolis and i think the graphic novel is amazing and so is the film all right ira i just want to say i i made this long list and it was really hard to whittle it down to five but so much it's wonderful we're in a bookstore having this talk i love this with shawshank redemption gone with the wind jaws the exorcist of mice and men one flew over the cuckoo's nest deliverance 2001 uh what's eating gilbert gilbert grape the graduate Les Miserables. How many films can you name? Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. Look at all these great movies that are based on books. Books. Wow. All right. How about that? Well, guys, we did it. Hey, uh, we, we want to thank you. Hey, thanks, Last Bookstore. Thanks, thanks, thanks for Yeah, I like it here. And thank you, audience members. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Can uh, we come back here? If you guys I'm have any top back. fives that you would like to recommend for our uh, top five books that top five movies that were based on a book you can send us an email to robert at antiwavepodcast.com or uh, 
or and slash or Ira at antiwavepodcast.com. Or surprisingly, Christina at antiwavepodcast.com. That's the book of how it works out. Or you can send us a message through Instagram or through Twitter. Our handle is at antiwavepod. And yeah. if you want to check out other episodes, you can listen to us at anywavepodcast.com. We're That's there, right. too. We're all over the place, aren't we? We're on, we're on iTunes, Stitcher. We're on Google Play. We're all over. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we also have uh, our film, 30 Love. Ira and I made a movie called 30 Love, and uh, we're selling that here. You can also check it out on our website, 30lovefilm.com. You can buy a copy. Uh, it is... Uh, $20 for the, for the Blu-rays and $15 for the DVDs. And if you type in Antiwave uh, on, on when you check out at 30lovefilm.com, then we'll give you 10% off. Hey, how about that? Nice. Hey, we did a podcast. Did. That's so nice. I also want to thank producer Joey for doing a great job with uh, Real or yeah. Unreal. Yeah, woot, woot. And our audience. All right, our, so. Our audience. Yeah. Thank you thank for being you. here. All right, so until next time. Keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. <laughs>